We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal Bryan Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry, and I'm talking with Dr. Mark Moitoza, Vice Chancellor for Evangelization here at the Archdiocese. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Taylor. It's good to be here. Good to have you. So let's start out with a big picture. What does the Office of Evangelization do? And, and before you answer that, I can tell our listener that your office is one of the busiest offices in this building. You guys have stuff going on all over the world. So have at it. Well, I appreciate that. And, and also uh, give a nod to all my colleagues in the other offices here who do a lot of great work, too. Uh, the Office of Evangelization is really uh, designed to support all the Catholic priests who are endorsed by the Archdiocese and their Catholic coordinators. So when Archbishop Brolio endorses a Catholic priest to serve in one of the branches of the military services, we stand by to support them with resources so that he and his Catholic coordinators can reach out to Catholics in the military with resources that might be found similarly in home parishes that we would have here in the United States. Often those have to be translated for the military setting, and often uh, they have to be digital. So we're doing a lot of creative thinking, a lot of transforming uh, initiatives and uh, processes to be able to reach out to a global uh, archdiocese. And is your focus mostly on religious education, or is that just part of it? It is a uh, part of it. Uh, really, uh, we follow the vision of the, of Archbishop Brolio and what he wants to focus on, and he has a keen interest on young adults since this is such a young archdiocese. We guesstimate that there are about 300,000 young adults serving in all branches of the military services. So young adult ministry is a key part of what we do. Catechesis, faith formation, training catechists to serve as faith leaders and mentors, uh, lay leaders, uh, working uh, with youth ministry. Uh, it goes uh, kind of on and on. Many dioceses have lots of different offices uh, to handle all these different things uh, as a small archdiocese. Uh, many things land on our desks, and that's one reason why we're as busy as you attested to at the beginning. <laughs> well, so break those down for me. Uh, how do you provide resources to the priests and the faith formation leaders in the communities around the world? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, since uh, our people are stationed all around the world, a lot of what we do is digital. So uh, we have one person who's focused on a website. And that is a major evangelization source so that they could find uh, the resources that they need to support people in their communities. So that's anything from how do we get a ministry started to uh, what what's happening uh, in the church, the season of the church. Right now we're in Advent, so Advent resources are posted on our website. All those kinds of things that uh, normally a parish would be designing on their own, we're packaging together to be able to resource and push out. But we don't just post them. We're also then sending out e-newsletters to let people know things are there. We have an app, which is reaching out to young adults, which is another way that's happening. And the new initiative that the Young Adult Ministry Office is doing is what's called a digital discipleship group. And this means that once a month, there are young adult leaders who are gathering together online through a GoToMeeting service to be able to share what's happening in their spiritual life and then what's happening with young adults in their community. So it's not just us in our offices sitting here pushing things out from Washington, D.C., but it's also listening to what's happening with young people in the military and their leaders and trying to figure out what are the pastoral needs and what are ways that we can help them to respond to those needs uh, after we do a good job of listening. And you refer to young adults. What age group are we talking about? So uh, very clearly in the, the Archdiocese, would be uh, those who are over 18 
the beginning part is very easy. The uh, maximum age is the hard part. Uh, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops would have the age go all the way up to 39. Uh, some people look at 18 to 29. So it really depends uh, in that area. I think in the military, we're really looking at that younger age range, 18 to 26. Uh, those who are single, young married couples, uh, really many who have left home for the first time and are navigating lots of new systems and trying to figure out uh, how do you manage through all of this bureaucracy in some sense, uh, and also ha have the church as a source of um, not just comfort and stability, but something that's going to accompany you through all the challenges that you are facing. And so we're talking about a large population of enlisted folks as well as young officers. That's correct. All leaders and, and different ways that they serve. And the pastoral services that you provide, your office provides, are not just for the enlistees, the officers, but also for their families, their kids, right? That's right. So uh, youth ministry, uh, catechesis, that's definitely the area where we're looking at uh, young people and saying, how do you uh, help them to catch the faith when they're constantly moving? Tell me about some of the events that you have coming up. I know that you have a, uh, a marriage enrichment retreat coming up February 16th to 18th uh, in uh, Maryland. Uh, give us the details about that. So this is a dream of Archbishop Brolio's to really gather uh, active duty military couples uh, where one of the uh, spouses is on active duty or maybe both uh, to give them an opportunity to step away from their very busy lives where they're constantly moving forward to have an opportunity to reflect on uh, the gift of love in their in their life and the gift of Christ in their marriage. So it's a way to look at marriage as a process, a way to look at intimacy, to look at compatibility communication and commitment. Those are the areas of focus where couples will have the opportunity over the weekend to dialogue with one another. A lot of marriage enrichment retreats bring in keynote presenters and you listen to witness talks uh, and then go off and have kind of a discussion on your own. We're flipping the model a little bit by using a refocus model, which came out of the Archdiocese of Omaha. And this is really looking at an inventory process where each spouse goes through a list of questions and they'll take off whether they agree, disagree, or they're uncertain about a statement. And then they come back together and they dialogue. And they pick two things where they agree on and celebrate those. And then two things where they disagree on and talk about why is that? And what are some areas where they could grow? So the idea is really to give them a time apart from their busy lives. And also to give them some tools to be able to use beyond the marriage enrichment retreat itself. To really focus on prayer to understand how their, their gift of marriage is a gift to, and a way to reveal Christ in the world. I think this is important for military couples because, as I was saying, they're so busy and constantly moving forward. Often we need to take a step back and kind of look at why did we fall in love in the first place? What are the gifts that Christ is giving to us, whether it's children or a way to share our gifts with other people? Uh, and are we doing that? Are we holding each other to task? And are we still honoring and loving each other in the same way when we discovered each other in the first moment. And I would expect that uh, there are some problem marriages in the military uh, with all the pressures and the moving around that comes along with the territory. Uh, is this in direct response to that, or is it more um, an initiative that uh, uh, we're trying to promote healthy marriages, that, that we're not so much focused on the problems in marriage? the problem marriages? It's a good question. I think it's a both and. I think uh, definitely uh, we have been at war for so long and deployments have had a real impact on family life. 
uh, and each uh, deployment uh, creates a, a, a different added stress. And, and when war comes home, it has an impact. So helping people to slow down and process uh, where they are now versus where they started from is an important thing to be able to do. But also not to forget that crisis in the middle of that, in the middle of that struggle too, and, and helping them along. And it's also to help those couples who may not be having uh, uh, a specific problem or a specific challenge, but who will need to grow too. All of us need time away to, to pray and to be uh, motivated by others. And uh, this marriage retreat, uh, what are the details? Where is it and how can someone sign up for it? So uh, you mentioned the date. It's February uh, 16th through 18th at the Bon Secours Retreat Center in Marriott'sville, Maryland. Uh, you can sign up for it by going right to our website. There's a banner on the homepage. You click that banner, you'll see married couples smiling. And that's our hope is that at the end of the retreat that they are also smiling. Uh, and right from that webpage, you'll be able to register. And our website is www.millarch.org. And this will be one of the featured items at the top of that homepage when that's you correct. go there. Yes. So they're like five rotating yes. featured uh, images, and it's one of those. Right. So if you don't see it right away, uh, hang in there for a few seconds and it will come up. And alternatively, in the search box, you can always type in marriage retreat, and it will pop up that way as well. And this is the, and I mentioned this is the first of its kind. Yes. Uh, there will be a second one. Uh, we're hoping to do one on the West Coast. So both retreats are uh, supported by donors, which are helping to defray the, cross, the cost dramatically. And we hope after a successful evaluation that we would be able to solicit more donations to be able to have uh, other retreats in other regions of our archdiocese, particularly in Europe and Asia, where people are far from home. And so what, what else is coming up this year in your office? Uh, in January, right away, we kick off the new year with the Fellowship of Catholic University Students Student Leadership Summit. Uh, there will be uh, student leaders from the academies who will be present and also those who are in ROTC. So these are people we're not connected with yet, but we have an opportunity to introduce the Archdiocese to them and to let them know that we're here to support them along with their priests and their Catholic coordinators. Tell us a little bit about uh, Five and Quintro. We talked with uh Jose Amaya in another podcast, so we went into it in depth there. But just uh, the um, short version, how does uh, Five and Quintro fit into the, the bigger picture with evangelization? So the Fifth and Quintro is really looking at what does it mean to go out to the peripheries and be a missionary disciple. Uh, the Holy Father recently talked with uh, youth, and he told youth that the people they should be reaching out to are those who are elderly, that in some sense those are their people who are on the periphery because those are people they're not often talking to, and yet there's great wisdom there. And I think with the fifth inquential process, we're looking not only at Hispanic ministry, but uh, anyone who is on the periphery, but also the gift of Hispanic ministry that is in the church today, and that is not uh, necessarily well utilized. So really it's a chance for us to listen to what are the gifts that are in the church, how can we encourage those who maybe aren't in church right now to come back and share those gifts, or how can we just accompany them and say, we're here for you. Or if you want to come or not, we hope you do, and we'll pray with you. But really, it's an idea that uh, happens at, from a grassroots level up to the national level. So right now, we're getting ready for the uh, regional level. We've had an archdiocesan encuentro, which was a digital process as well through GoToMeeting. The regional one will happen at Catholic University of America, just across the street from our offices. And then the national one will happen in September down in Texas. So we're looking forward to hearing about uh, what the fruit of that will be, because the idea is that not only does it uh, just shoot up the ladder. It also then comes back down to the grassroots where it started from. And 
from an an archdiocese-wide perspective, I suppose one of our greatest needs, if not the greatest needs, is the uh, desperate shortage of priests to serve as chaplains. What would you say is your greatest need within the realm of evangelization? Are we in desperate need of uh, faith formation leaders? Where, where, do, where do we stand in terms of, of volunteers to carry out this important work? Well, well, I think the greatest need really is to be a church that's welcoming. Anyone who moves to another place, whether you're in the military or not, knows what it's like to feel alone. So that sense of uh, being able to walk into a church or a chapel building uh, and feel like you belong, are wanted, and are cared for, uh, have a community to be a part of, that is a huge need. Uh, and so I think in some sense we're missing that in many places because we've been so busy and uh, are trying to keep up and with all the tasks that we have. So uh, helping uh, create those welcoming communities for not only families but young adults is an extreme uh, need for, for our archdiocese right now. And I think a lot of us often feel, well, we're only here for a short amount of time. There's only so much we can do. But it's important that you do what you can in that time before you move on. Otherwise, we're missing that idea of going out and reaching those who who belong in the church, who have gifts to share, but who just have not been invited or have not been listened to. That's our biggest uh, issue right now, I think, is that we have not been a church that's been very good at listening to others and what their life journey has been for them, whether it's been a struggle or whether it's just been, uh, I'm not sure I understand what this is, and allowing people to sit with those questions and being comfortable without always having the answers also, but being willing to pray with them. Anyone who wants to get involved, they can go on our website and mail you or they can, exactly Sure. They can. They'll go to the Office of Evangelization. We have an office tab. They can go to Evangelization, and they'll see my name as well as my colleagues, uh, and they'll see the specific things that they're in charge of. Great. There's one more thing I want to ask you about, and uh, you're already a doctor, but soon we'll be calling you Dr. Dr. Martin, <laughs> because you're uh, getting yet another doctorate. Yes. Um, and uh, one of the things that you're studying is – moral injury, which uh, has been a uh, much discussed uh, topic in recent years with all of the uh, servicemen and women coming back with, uh, you know, not only physical conditions, but uh, suffering spiritually from their experiences. Tell me a little bit about moral injury. What is it? How do you recognize it? And what can be done about it? Uh, the reason I was looking into this topic is we were getting calls from civilian parishes around the country asking, what could we do to welcome military and their families back? And we didn't have the answer. We, we work really hard at helping people who are on active duty and their families, and then we just handed them off. Uh, so there was this need to do some bridge building. And the question of moral injury uh, is one that uh, is, seemed to make good sense to be able to try to uh, spend some time studying and figuring out. So Moral injury is really uh, defined as uh, being in a situation where my values are betrayed. So uh, it could be that I did something that goes against what I believe, or it could be a leader asked me to do something that goes against what I believe. Uh, and sometimes the chaotic setting of war, that, that's going to happen. So how do you help people process that where they start to self-condemn themselves uh, and separate themselves from the, commu- the very community that they need to be able to be reintegrated and find some kind of communal reconciliation. So it's really looking at fragmented uh, multiple alienations, alienation between myself and God, between myself and the community, 
uh, I'm between myself and who I knew who I was prior to going into the military. So it's a little bit different than post-traumatic stress, which we've been hearing a lot about. Post-traumatic stress is something that happens to me, like a trauma- traumatic event. So that's something that's coming uh, to me and is totally altering my experience. That also has a fragmented experience because trauma is so overwhelming to the body that it breaks down those experiences and it can't put them back together in a neat puzzle. Those pieces are jumbled for a long, long time. Uh, so there are some things that are similar and some things that are different. I was interested in, in learning more about this because uh, there has not been much that the Catholic Church has done uh, in thinking about what could we as a community do from a spiritual perspective to help those who are feeling this dissonance. Uh, it's been a lot from a therapeutic perspective, and that's been very helpful, but it's it's not enough. We also uh, are a bodily and spiritual being, so we need the spiritual component there. And the Church has great gifts and has been caring for those who serve in the military for a very long time. The Middle Ages is bringing up some really interesting uh, information about uh, how they understood that if you went to war, it was understood that you were going to do things that were going to affect you, and that uh, they helped with purification rituals, with the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and the whole church prayed you back into the community as a sinful community. They, they weren't the perfect prayers who, who were saying, oh, you sinned and we'll pray you back in. We as sinners are praying those who need help back in. I think that's a lesson for us today that we need to learn a lot about. Uh, looking down the road, do you suppose the uh, the church will develop uh, or refine its uh, responsiveness to this moral injury? The the can you make, can you envision? And I, I know they wouldn't originate from you personally, but uh, is there a need for programs within the church, specific services that are meant specifically for people with this? I don't know what you call it, a condition or condition of the soul. Yeah, or soul bruise, some people have said. A bruise or a shadow on the soul. Uh, I think the Holy Father has talked about how do you help those who are returning from war settings who have the indelible marks of war. Right? So normally we hear about the indelible mark in the sacrament of baptism when we're anointed with oil. Right? That's an indelible mark that we are uh, changed. We have be put on Christ. So that's one indelible mark. And then this, this indelible mark of war, another indelible mark. But that, that indelible mark of war, uh, also uh, if, for those who have been baptized, uh, and, and for all of God's creation, God has been with them. And I think oftentimes those who have been marked by war or had those moral injury experiences feel that they cannot connect with God, that they have no self-worth. Right? And yet that's the absolute opposite, that in the absence, feeling darkness, that's where God is more deeply present to them. So again, just like as I was talking about with young adults, this is an opportunity for the church to listen deeply and to witness to experiences that people can't put together for themselves. So if I listen to you talk about an experience that you're struggling with, sometimes I can hear things uh, that you're not seeing yourself, not because I'm interjecting them, but because I'm just repeating back to you what you said. And all of a sudden, the lights start going on. So I think that's what we mean by being an authentic, being a, a community that authentically accompanies others. This would be my hope that uh, we would look at the communal sacrament of reconciliation and, and put it together in a way where there's a communal examination of conscience, that those uh, who went to war are praying for what they need support for, and those of us who did not go to war realize that we have a part for those who were sent, that uh, through, through our own experience of being part of this uh, country, we have a contribution there too, 
And we have to uh, come to terms with, with our own experience of sin and that experience as well. It's a topic I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about, moral injury. Dr. Mark Matoza, Vice Chancellor for Evangelization here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Thank you for talking to me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure.